We are live. Well, we're not live. Not actually live. <laughs> we are. We are recording. This is not live and uh, possibly local. Imagine if we did it live. Oh no, it would be terrible. Well, be one one Tate's internet would just shit a brick. <laughs> <laughs> like physically, like a little, like it'd go live and like you could watch his like phone line like bulge up like a balloon and then like it travels along the line <laughs> <laughs> all right welcome everybody to the outside line episode um uh tate put that in post <laughs> um with special guest this time the Dejaga good vibes award winner from last round mr tim greaves how you doing tim yeah not bad that's good bad. that's good and then of course um my name is Ben Snell, um, and alongside me today we have Jackson Snell and Mr. Tate Lindstrom. How are you two fellas doing? Don't Getting everybody goals. speak at once. I'm, hug- I'm hugging the heater again still. It's bloody cold out here, but uh, I still haven't fixed the globe in this room, so it's uh, got my little lamp. Not too bad. Very good. How are you doing, Jack? Yeah, good. Also freezing. My lights work, though, so it's all right. And you got LZ on in the background there. Yeah, I'm going to change Oh, it I thought that was Cam Martin. <laughs> yeah, it's Cam Martin. That's it. All right, so this is our traditional... Obviously, we never actually figure out when we're putting these out, but we normally do one before-ish round and one after-ish round. And this is our after-ish round, three-ish round podcast episode number, whatever number it is. Um, so, yeah, we have... Obviously, round three, we're going to go through the stuff from round three. Um, all that fun stuff, and then um, have a chat with Tim about Tim stuff afterwards. So um, we'll get straight into our results. Results, there we go. I really can't talk. Um, straight into into L1. Um, of course, Mr. Man on a mission right now is uh, Dale Campaign. I think that's three from three this season. Yeah, so he's taken out a, another one. He was very, very close to not even getting into the top eight. If you look at the points, there was, oh, was four people separated by 0.5 of a point going into the top eight. So, yeah, he only just scraped into the top eight, but ended up taking out the event anyway. So he actually only just scraped into the top 16 from memory as well. I mean, I, I'm on um, drifting.sa.com.au live because there is like points and stuff. So L1 round two. So when we went into the top 16... Dale was 14th. So 14th out of the 16 people um, with a 99.5 points. He was only three points clear of Adam Wood, who um, was our bottom tied with Adam May for getting into the top 16. So um, this actually, I'm going to divert this conversation straight away into something that we had for later on in the thing. The point system, how tight all these points are and the fact that everyone... Like, you look at a, a, a typical run and you're seeing most of the time, unless someone spins, they're above a 20, which means like 20 out of 30. So it means they're getting an average score of seven or higher for just completing a lap. Is is it too lenient or like it, it's too grouped together? Should we be grading on this one? Should we be grading on a curve more is, is what I'm saying. Like, should a spin and then continuing on be like two points and not five points or something like that. Like, cause obviously yeah. these, these points are super close and everyone's super tight and you've got people like missing out on the top eight 
by literally tying on points and going back to the best run or however they split it. Like it's it's something that um obviously needs to to be looked at a little bit. Obviously moving on. Yeah, but I think Dale probably had some runs. He took a little while to get warm up though, so he sort of. I don't think he had a necessarily amazing runs at the start, but we also know with the scoring system, if you get someone that's good as your partner in the battle, you have a tendency to get good points. If you get someone that's not as good, your points have a tendency to be a bit more average. So I'm not sure if that was also a factor of it. Um, but yeah, he took a little while to warm up. Came good in the end, but only just managed to to get through. It is interesting, like, you, you look at the the round one and two, the, the 32 round robin battles, for Dale's scores, he scored 22-ish for three out of those four runs. So he had one run that was really, really up there, and the rest were all simply consistent. And that's something that, that you know, I mean having driven with Dale over the last 10 years or so, Dale is just super consistent. It's something he's always been is really consistent. You, you, you can't, you can't fault that about him. The problem is that consistency can actually be a burden in this type of point scoring, because it almost looks like you're playing it safe. You may not be, you're just driving consistently, but consistently it's at an 80 to 85% isn't going to get the top 16 at the moment because everyone else is aiming for that 100 110%. And a handful of people get it, and a handful of people get really close and get rewarded for trying that hard. It's 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 where there's that separation there. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Jack? Yeah, very similar thoughts to what, you know, what me and you ta- um, have always sort of thought. And even when I was judging, it was, it was one of those things, there was always those people that are mid-pack, <clears throat> But now there's so many people that are, you know, I wouldn't even say mid-pack. There's so many good drivers that it really needs to be something to um, determine the better drivers. And there's, you know, Stewie's always said about using half points here or a quarter of a point there. Um, but once again, like, yeah, it was like an automatic thing. If someone would spin, they get a two for completing the lap, you know. But um, whether they change it to out of 100 or start using those sort of decimal points a lot more, um, they're a very similar thing. Like I missed out on um, top eight by like one and three quarter points or something like that um, and ended up like 11. And it's like, so there's three other people in front of me still that missed out on one and a half points, missed out by one point. You know, it was just, it is obviously super duper close um, and there is a lot of consistently, you know, good drivers in SA at the moment. So I think something has to be changed a little bit um, nothing's really been changed in in any of the system since this way of our events has been run. Um, whether that's something that Stewie can look at changing the qualifying essentially, um, or making top sixteen just elimination. Yeah, I I think it's not. There's nothing wrong with the system. Um, and like Stewie, I've already spoken to Stewie about this. He's been very regular. If you go from ten to hundred, all it does is it just makes an arbitrary score, and you'll see a lot of people just being given eighties and nineties and stuff like that. Like it's correct, it's, yeah. It's not so much the spacing. I think, I think the judging needs to be harsher. I think doing a lap where you do a lap and finish and don't do anything outstanding, but you don't make any mistakes, should be like a five for from each judge instead of a seven. And like having that baseline be moved from a low twenty back to a mid teen 
will then allow that spread in that top half to be a lot more noticeable. And where someone has an actual okay, like, you know, a, a better than average lap, they're going to get like a 20, 20 to a 25. And then instead of going, oh, I've only got, you know, a point or two more than a normal lap, I've actually got five or six more than a normal lap. It actually allows that separation and you can actually see maybe a little bit more diversity in the points. Because at the moment, right. it's pretty much you got an under a 10 or a low 20. There's like very, very rarely you'll see something in that mid-teens range. Yeah, so here's one of the hard things that I think with the point system, and because everyone's driving so well, it makes it very difficult. But if you have a look, I came 14th overall. Over six runs, I got 144.5. And to get in, you needed 151. So there's probably, what, six, seven points there, something like that, over six runs. I don't know if you can really tell on a run the difference between, say, a 24 and a 25. Like, if somebody sat you down, I think it would be really difficult to tell the difference between the two. And certainly that is enough judging error that it, it starts to become something that you can't really quantify anymore. And when things become hard to quantify, people don't know what's going on and you don't actually know why people are getting more points than the others. And that's sort of when the whole thing goes out the window. Um, because of those issues, because everything's so close, you can't tell anymore mm-hmm. what a better run is when when everything's so close. So I don't really know 100% how you fix that because a lot of it is just drivers being really close. But I do think that it needs to be clearer who wins and who doesn't win. Um, and when you've got four people there separated by 0.5 of a point, and that is sitting right in the middle of getting into top eight or not, then if you miss out on on um, top eight by 0.5 over six runs, you don't know where that 0.5 was. Like, right. yeah, 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 exactly. So the hard thing to me is I like the judging system like that. The problem is things are so close. I think maybe a top 16 elimination would be better because it's, it's, it's it took, just took the words out of my mouth. That, that was... That was literally what I was going to say next is you might have to bump it back a, a layer and go to that top yeah. 16 elimination. You're still going to get that ambiguity where people are going to say, well, I missed out on the top 16 by a handful of points. But it means there is a bit more pressure for people to really try to excel in that top 16, not try to coast at the end there because they've banked two really good top 32 runs and go, well, if I, if I flood my top 16, I've actually got a really good one that's already going to double and get me into the eight. Yeah. It actually it, it enforces that that top 16 battle is a battle. Yeah, uh, yeah, which, for sure. Which, which might help. It might. Yeah. And, like, and I kind of think... Oh, sorry, go, go, go Tate. Um, I think if you if you didn't make it into the top 16, let's be honest, you weren't going to make it into the top eight. I don't think you're going to pull that out. The scoring isn't going to be that far off, even if it's tight. So I don't I don't think that's a, too much of a concern. If you if you were seventeenth or eighteenth, reality is you won't get to be sixth or eighth. It's Look, there, there's happen. there's a handful of us that, that have gone from sixteenth. I've I've done it one of the rounds and got to like ninth or just scraped into the eighth by doing a really really stellar top sixteen run. Dale's a really good example of the last round. He managed to go from 
14th and pull himself back into that eight just. But you're right in saying that most people, they've already got themselves further down that order. They're not going to be able to pull something miraculous in one extra battle to get them up into that eight. And I think it's it's so much it it's a lot clearer, it's a lot easier to say to people, this person that you battled against and that the judges saw at the same time was better than you than it is being able to say all these battles that you didn't see and weren't a part of were slightly better than you. It's it's like one one comparing against one data point compared to a whole bunch is gonna be a lot easier for people to understand. Um one factor that you could think might be an issue on a, an event like this would be the amount of time taken i think if you did top 16 you'd end up just doing two battles in the way that we do them now and then you'd have 16 elimination so you should still have the number of same number of battles to get to that top eight mm. um but one more times would probably be an issue because we have a tendency to have quite a few one more times and i think that comes down to what you've said about the judging being potentially a little harsher, a little bit more, you know, decisive and saying, you know, yes, there is certainly situations, don't get me wrong, absolutely situations even in a, a top 32 in, in certain competitions you, you where... It doesn't matter which run you watch, if there's, like, which bracket it's in, you watch two people door each other and have a perfect lead run, of course yeah. it's going to be a rerun, like, something like that, but, like, yeah, you know... Yeah, but... But when you watch two people have a perfect lead run, they both door each other. One person has like a wobble like this that's noticeable. That should be enough to lose. It shouldn't be going, yeah. oh, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. oh, it was pretty close. We'll go again. No, that was a decisive difference. It, it almost become becomes a, a wine back there where they mm. start trying to find a justification mm. from the other person to go, yeah, but the other person kind of straightened from yeah. over there. Oh, yeah. we'll, we'll rerun them. And you go, no, no. If you don't recall exactly what they did wrong, yeah. and that one you can definitely go, they had a flub in their chase or, or their lead, you, you make that call based on that the error that you can remember. Yeah. Um. yeah. So I did have some thoughts on the time schedule, if you were to do it this way, in that if you didn't have enough time for um, one more time, because we know that we probably get quite a, would get quite a few of them and sometimes they can go for two or three extra battles, you could have a system that says if it goes to one more time, then the person that had the higher points gets through. Now, some people mightn't like that, but it does give more weighting to those first two battles if you were to do it that way to go out and go hard so that you're in the top eight so that if you do come to a one more time situation, you get through. So I don't know. There's there, a few options there. There was definitely talk amongst the drivers after the last event that I saw about there's a handful that wouldn't mind going back to some sort of calculated uh, qualifying, even though we'd, we've, we've sort of moved away from a, a pre-qualification to the battle rounds. You could certainly use that as a, as a count back tool for, for top 16 reruns. Okay, this person qualified higher, um, but that again, that adds significant time. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's going to be interesting too, because obviously next round at Malala, uh, we're going back to a super round, so we're actually going to bring back qualifying, which to me kind of seems redundant now because we're so used to doing this knockout quality, or not, not, not knockout quality, but like the, the, the battle qualies, that now basically we've got qualifying, qualifying two, and then qualifying three in the top 16. So mm. it's just like how how much qualifying do you need to do to justify your top eight? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that qualifying these days is like the single qualifying on super rounds is in reality just for shootout. Mm, I mean, it's yeah. a big. It's a big chunk of time devoted to qualifying for something that is essentially but another like, qualifying. When you've but, got a, a full two day event, like it, it doesn't matter so much because there's obviously so much track time that you can justify spending an hour and a half, two hours rolling out single cars. Like it's not that not that big of a deal because no one's going to be out there for you know ten hours on Saturday just practicing. And, and, you know, tandeming and stuff like that. Even if you look, look at a Matsuri, by the end of the day, the numbers wash out and people, you know, get over, not get over driving, but, you know, run out of tyres, run out of motivation. But there's going to be people wanting to save their cars. Like, we've looked at so many people that have backed out of team drift because they're too worried about, you know, damaging the cars on a Saturday night and stuff like that. So it's just one of those things, like, on a two-day event, I don't mind the single car qualifying as much. Like obviously, you can't fit it into a, into one of the um, single-day rounds that we're doing. But, like, it's just... It seems so so redundant now that, like, we qualify to then set the bracket to qualify again. So... Yeah, I mean, it works certainly for the shootout and for the bonus points you get from that for, like, a championship. Um, again, you add those to your, your team drift scores. That all goes towards championship and the round overall but it only applies at a super round and yeah there just isn't the time for it in the single days um and whether that becomes even a thing in itself that that's the other justification of of maybe changing how that top 16 looks in terms of being knockout versus points to try to maybe concise some of that further um just looking at the points though it actually looks like um, the the nine to sixteen bracket is actually tighter than the eight to first bracket. Uh, yeah, well, you've got that big anomaly too with Bogger and Farron at the top because they turned it on when it wasn't a knockout battle, and then it <laughs> sorry, as soon as it went to a um to a knockout bracket battle, they um they had to deal with Dale the underdog who um just snuck into the into the top eight, but. Obviously, battled Bogger and then battled Farron because they were one and two. So, um, but like, yeah, you, you take away those two, you go from one fifty nine to one fifty one, from third to eighth, which is that that typical grouping that we're expecting, which is about that ten points. Um, and then you had like you were another ten points clear to Farron at one seventy, another five to uh, to Bogger. So it's it's nuts. But then you look at that nine to sixteen, and it's about that. Well, if you take sixteenth away and go back to Hayden and fifteenth. It's only a nine-point spread as well, so that that's always, it's so tight. Like the the scores are so tight, and they don't spread out. Like the spread in the top sixteen, like um, from two runs, is again it's it's actually a more bigger spread in the top sixteen than it was in the top eight. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I got it right. Anyway, <laughs> points. Points, maths, Excel Points. documents. That's that's it. Stewie just loves numbers. I swear. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. To me, top sixteen elimination makes sense, um, and I think there's ways that you can make it work. It'd make it a bit clearer for everyone. Um, you will have a bit more randomness, I'm sure, because people randomly spin out, and rather than being able to be saved by the point system, they would just be out. But I guess that's a part of the game you play. 
Yeah, that and little like, bit of um, Stewie does go on about you know the the top drivers usually make it to the top eight and on um, in in this system, but like at the same time, like throwing sick laps all day is one thing, but then having to know that this is my shot, like this is my only chance, I can't make the mistake, is a totally different style of pressure, and it's a totally different driving well standard to have like you know look at dale yeah dale just went ah stuff it and cruised through the um the points rounds basically did the bare minimum to get himself through but as soon as it went to an elimination elimination battle was just switched like that and turned it on so like and like we know that dale's really good at that and that's why he's basically one of the best in the country so like that's i mean i think that that mindset thing that shows itself though in the fact that the two interstate guys that that pushed right to the top of the list at the end of the two rounds, the first two rounds, because they arrive and they drive like they're battling for win and lose. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so so they're, they're throwing it all on the line from the get-go, whether it's almost a, a level of... I'm trying to think of the, the way I want to word it nicely, but like the, 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 there's almost a, a level of security that has been almost cultured into the SA guys now because we have that battle round system yeah. that maybe they're not pushing as hard as they can in those first two battles. And I, and I think that shows with how close the, the midfield is now that everyone's yeah. just yeah. going, I just got to make it through, not make any major mistakes. And I should be, I should be there or thereabouts. But the problem is, is there or thereabouts goes from third to 19th. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's absolutely, it, it almost looks black and white when you, you look at, the fact that the two interstate guys just shot to the top of that list Come out, the top swinging, 32 yeah. battles. And the rest of them, as you say, were within Barclays of each other, like so close. So, and maybe that's that's something that from a, from a judge's brief, they need to push harder in the morning and say, guys, if you're all going to coast, you're all going to be questioning why did this person get through versus that person at the end. You got to show us early on and refer it back to the rounders. Go and say, you saw what Farron did. You saw what Bogger did. You got to push. If you don't push that hard first thing, and you're all coast, you're all going to be complaining at the end, going, "I don't understand why this person got ahead of me by half a point or whatever else." If you stamp it and you you, you absolutely, you know, seal that envelope, send it out, there is no questioning it. Then you you know you put 110 percent into it from the get go. And it shows in the results. Hmm. I don't think anyone's like thinking too much about, oh, I'm going to be not going at it 100%. But yeah, I think it plays in the back of people's brains a bit because yeah, yeah. they know they know if you make if you make a mistake and then someone in front of you has a bad lead that you're struggling to chase and they're all over the place, that's your day done. Hmm. So. I think people are very wary, although they've got a drop round, they're very wary that it doesn't take much to fall off that curve. And once you fall off that curve, you've got no hope of getting through. Interesting. <clears throat> very good. Oh, sorry, my throat's, ah. my throat's a little bit... Hey, going? <clears throat> <laughs> so, um, after all that, that massive diversion, which uh, we, all, we all knew was coming, didn't we? <laughs> Thanks, Ben. That's all right. Um... We had Mr. Monkhouse finish second, uh, which is great to see Tommy's back on form. Um, I ran into him in the pits um, right after the finals. Um, 
we already we knew the results, but you know hadn't hadn't done the results yet. But he knew he'd come second, and he goes, "Yeah, it's great." He goes, "I would have liked, you know, wanted to beat Dale, obviously, because he's he's on form, and you know, every time we lose to him, he gets further away." But he goes, "I had a pretty average round, you know, round two, um, and after I think he comes second round one as well." So he goes, "I was actually pretty down myself, and you know, it wasn't super thrilled about bombing out early." So he goes, "I'm really happy to be back up here and and right up at the top again." And I'm just loving watching Tom drive lately. Like it's like you know the the Tom Monkhouse of old, like just throws it in, super hard, super committed, and um, it's it's great to watch. And of course, his car sounds really good too, which helps. Yeah, that that uh, that Steffi's seen a few things, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, awesome to have Tom back out there. He's been killing it, really. Um, He's come out. I don't think he did that much driving until recently, and he's come back out in that Cephi and pretty much mm. been killing it the whole time. So, yeah. yeah, the last the last two years or so, he's really been um, picking up form, and he's he's right on top of that wave right now. So it's really good to see. And then um, speaking of the Victorians from earlier, Farron finally makes it on the podium after claiming he was going to be on it from from the get go. He's he's finally made it there. Yeah, he's about three rounds too late <laughs> from his predictions, but all right, we'll give him something. Now, he did but... he did really well, so um, it was just unfortunate for him to come against Dale in the um, in the top four. Really, it was pretty much pretty much the deciding factor when it comes to that. Like, yeah, we were all going all like you know after the qualifying battles in the top sixteen, we're like, all right, we're gonna see a Victorian like on the podium, if not the top step today. And I had, I, if I was a betting man, I would have put money on Bogger to, to, to push through because he was just driving like a man possessed. And um, just unfortunate, just got a little bit too keen behind Dale coming into that hairpin and um, and spun it around, which, you know, it's just one of those things that happens. It, you know, you can spend all day driving like a man possessed and it comes to a point where if you spin, it matters, and you spin, that's your day over. Yeah, well, I drove against Farron in the, the top 16 and... Um... Yeah, he was all over me. He he uh, hit me on or tapped me on transition, left a nice little uh, wheel mark on my rear bumper, and uh, yeah, he was all over me. He did really good lead run too. So I think he was he was hungry, and it pretty much showed through all his driving. Cool bananas. So um, any any other people of note from L two or sorry from L one? Um, I'm gonna put my hand straight out and say Roger. Roger coming back after um. Breaking his car round one, missing round two, comes back almost like this close to this close to being on the podium. Um, got himself P four, and um, yeah, it's great to see him back and and straight back into form. And he he's always done pretty well around Malala, so hopefully fingers crossed for him. Although I keep putting the mockers on him, I want to see Roger on the podium. Yeah, it was a couple of people I thought might be worth mentioning. Um, Stevie Griffin in the MX five supercharged. He ended up fifth, which is uh, pretty damn impressive considering that car doesn't have a lot of power and he hasn't driven it a whole lot. No. So uh, he's got to be pretty stoked. He was he was right out on the wall when I did the watch the replays. You could see he was right out on the wall and um, killing it. So that thing's only making half its half its boost. So he's got to uh, fix up a few things on that, and it's going to make even more power. It's going to be a pretty cool little weapon to watch. Yeah, for sure. It's it's great to see Stevie back out there with the uh, with the Uber pumper going now. So and it made such a difference. Like that's all he needed was that extra, you know, 
30, 40 kilowatts just to get him over that hump of, oh, I'm just, you know, not quite there to going, oh, no, I can make it through corners now and, and actually, you know, put up the fight and have to, I can actually concentrate on my line and chasing and doing that rather than going, I just need to get through the track. So um, it's mm. great to see him get that little bit of an extra edge and, and straight away um, being on form as well. So that was good to see. Yeah, and the other person too, um, another low-powered hero, um, Jared in Little Kasev, uh, come out swinging with a 29 in the first round. Mm. So uh, he was he ended up 12th, but after the two, first two rounds, I think he was still in the top eight. So, yeah, no, Jared, Jared's good. He, um, yeah, no, I, yeah, he's he's so so good to drive, like good, good to watch drive and and to drive with, um, with the little beams powered K seventy. So it's good. It's it's that car is really really clean as well. Um, I believe that's an old J Duca shell. Um, but yeah, it's it's really cool. The thing's super light. Like everything on it is like perspex and fiberglass and. All that stuff. I think um, I'd, I'd like to know what it weighs, but like it would be very, very light. Mm. Probably the oh. other one that I think I'd have to bring into that as well. Same sort of thing, and it's you know, low power again, but you can't go past Dan Hollands in terms of his return to competing. And when you look at the scores, you realise that both his lead runs were 24 and a halfs. In the, he, now, he didn't make it into the, the 16 because his chase runs without the power um, in that 350. Just He really struggled to try to keep with people, but his lead runs were so clean. They were absolutely what we're asking of him. And to see him having not competed in, what, six years or something like that, you know, um, come out and have lead runs that were effectively higher than, than most of Dale's points for the first two battle runs... It was just his chases that he just couldn't keep up. So, yeah, if we can if we can get him over the the next hump with that car, and whether it's nitrous or or a little spoolie boy or something, yeah, I reckon if he could chase as well as he could lead, that's he'll he'll, he'll surprise some people with that thing. I don't even think it was a case of not being able to keep up. I think it was the <clears throat> I think it was his car gripping up in the in the bowl because he was <laughs> entering slower behind people that yeah. had more power that could just like float in and then just like gas it through. Whereas he was like full speed, full mat on his leads and mm. having to feather the car and the run up in the, in the chases really hurt him. And that's, that's what he was saying. But um, yeah, it choked I, it out and made it almost, almost impossible to hold at that angle because it was too slow. Yeah. I think from memory, the last time he's competed was where that uh, infamous helmet throw came out, wasn't it? Down at Mount Gambia. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't even know that he managed to compete that weekend. He tried. I think but... he tried. Yeah, he tried to compete. <laughs> we'll yeah, put it that, that, that was that was 2016, and then I think the time before that would have been DCA at um well with the convertible with the, yeah, the RX7. Yeah, so, yeah that, that's that's six or seven years. So that DCA 2016 definitely rode off a few cars. It did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. All right. First go at the pinball machine, that one. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I like this. I'm going to buy a car and then rode off a car every year, three years in a row after that. So, you know, <laughs> really kept true to form on that one. All right. So, this speaking of, of writing off cars, let's go on to L2. <laughs> Actually, I don't think anyone really had a, um, a major incident on the weekend. Apart from Kurt. Kurt put the nose into the wall pretty early on. Um, in the, the That was a weird one. Yeah, that must it was, be weird 31 things. Uh, it's, I watched it's that. Weird, and it, weird 31 things, and Kurt um, really loves using the foot brake to adjust the car. 
And that was a case of, I'm pretty sure he's got semis on the front, wet, like, wet, damp, patchy conditions. And I think he's gone to just, like, use the foot brake to settle the car, and it's just pinched the fronts and gone, boop, and just set the front straight into the wall. So, um, really unfortunate there for Kurt, but he got it back together and got out and, and did some laps. And does someone need to go to Jack's house and give him the high Yeah, mark? Jack. Jack's trying to quietly. <laughs> <clears throat> But yeah, I was, yep. I was only making that reference because um, the other um, noisy boy G-powered or VQ-powered car, um, Mr. Simeon, made it into the top four, I think. Which, again, is a um, a great achievement for John. Uh, but yeah, the side of his car is a pancake for <laughs> John reasons. <laughs> From a previous bowl incident. Mm. I was going to say, wasn't that a Taylor Ben like two years ago or something? Yeah, pretty much. I think he, I think he gave up on trying to fix. He's like, I'm going to keep hitting stuff, and so I might as well just keep going. So, which had my kids, attitude so. as well. So, but uh, yeah. yeah, so L two, Mister Simeon got got into the top four. Um, just missed out on the podium ever so much. Um, he lost in the top four to our eventual winner, which was another John, um, which is Jonathan Ben. So he's been like looking like. Getting ever so close to to punching into that um that podium territory, Mister Benz, and I think this is I think it's his first top four from memory, and um he's gone straight through and straight to the top. So um a big congratulations to to Jonathan. Um he did a, a cracker job all weekend, and um was a um a great battle between himself and Harry and Harry Whitehead in the final there. And that's those two cars that everyone's been going, oh, they're not really level two cars. When we had that conversation last weekend about power versus driver, driver mod. And, um, yeah, so yeah, Harry in second and, um, Mr. Patrick with the R31 with the all cooler hanging out the front, uh, backed up his win from last round and, and finished on the podium once again. So, uh, the L2 track was, a, a big topic of debate coming into this round. And um, obviously some revisions were made and we ended up uh, initiating, um, well, basically halfway through the quad kink was was the go. And um, it really changed the dynamic of that level two layout. Yeah, yeah, bit of a different layout. I think some of the guys might have preferred to do the wall layout, but when Stewie sort of mentioned or or replied to that, it's pretty clear that he wants to keep L2 nice and friendly to, uh, to newbies coming in and having to run or even be close to a wall that follows you around a corner probably isn't going to be, uh, isn't going to be the best for those kind of guys. So I think the reality is if, if you're happy to run that wall and you've got a car to do it, then you should really go up to L1. Uh, To me, if you want to run the L1 layout, then run L1, don't don't be an L2. You're yeah. better off to put yourself up and run the layout that you want to run, and you'll learn more doing that than hanging around in L2 anyway. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. The layout was a little bit interesting. I've done that sort of quad kink that direction before with Driftmasters, but we did it with plenty of speed coming into it. So mm. I found it was fine and it flowed pretty good, but I think you need to be in third gear drifting when you go into the quad kink, not trying to go from second to third, because I, do, I don't think that would work. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I went back and watched a little bit having uh, – I drove Driftmasters, obviously, with you, Tate, when we did that at the end of our layout. But as you say, we did that through a finishing point, flat out, third gear, watching some of the, the live stream back that I didn't get to see on the day of those guys. It did look like it was actually more techy and difficult for them to initiate mid-quad kink and then get out to that outside zone – than the guys coming off the wall that they were already carrying pace so speed, and, yeah. and, and 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 the the inertia was taking them out there anyway the guys actually had to work a lot harder i think probably in l2 to get to that that outer area um it was definitely a techie layout i i don't envy them it's it's sort of yes it's safe away from the wall but it's tricky it's still it takes a bit of you got to have a think about how you're going to do it hmm. Yeah, um, so I got here, the the event actually ran pretty smoothly, though I was kind of disappointed because I put my car on the trailer thinking that we're running behind and would only have like two and a half minutes of best of the rest and we seemed to get a full session in, so I was a bit disappointed about that, but obviously the event must have been running uh, pretty well on time, which is uh, which is a nice one. Yeah, we can thank Franco for that up in uh, race control, really pumping those cars out. Um Definitely caught myself and Danny off guard a few times where we're still waffling on about the last battle or something that happened just before. And then you go, oh, crap, there's a car in the bowl. Um, <laughs> who's there? Shit. <laughs> and then you have to like, go on to that. And um, obviously, um, when Stewie put up that post about the on average, we ended up running a battle every 90 seconds. There was um, obviously a few people that going, well, did the judges have time to, to calculate scores? And... And yada yada, which also led into that whole point system debate as well. So, um, if you want to look at that, it's somewhere on Facebook and go, go <laughs> Thanks, have fun. Um, it might have been on the drivers' committee page. I can't remember, but either yeah, way, yeah, it's probably not anywhere that the random people yeah, can see it. But... It's not, yeah, not probably it, the general public. It is still one of those. It, it can be a bragging point, but it doesn't have to be. Mm. But it is one of those points that people that come from interstate. They always say it to me. I know uh, Marcus Gilligan, the guy from Tasmania, um, he said to me after the last round, he said, I can't believe how fast you guys power through stuff. Yeah. And it's awesome. You see, yeah. you guys just get so many battles in so much track time. Mm. You're not sitting around as a driver going, well, what, what am I doing until my next battle in an hour and a half? you got to be back there because – they're going to keep pushing me through and you get more battles, more stuff to do. And he loved it coming from, from the, the Tasmania drift scene, which he said was eh, by comparison, he said there's a lot of clickiness and a lot of downtime and a lot of big, big, big power cars. And then a lot of really low cars. There's no, there's no meshing there's yeah. no in between. Whereas what we've set up here, he, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't rate it high enough in terms of the sort of intermediate nature of everyone, because we've leveled the playing field with tire rules and with, you know, the judging style and it's just the speed that we go through. He said, you just, you didn't feel like you were waiting for anything. It is good. But as you say, there's that trade off where people go, what are the judges getting enough time? Well, the other thing with that as well, especially when you get to like top 16, um, the fact that, cause we stagger all of our runs as well. So we don't run driver A and B lead and chase and then flip them around. We run A, B, then C, D and then B, A and then D, C. So you, yeah. that staggering of, while cars are transiting around, it's not even that too. It's usually A, B, C, D, E, F. You know, we run four battles around and then come back to the other guys. Um, but when you could have cars transiting 
while you have cars battling, it's always going to speed up the process. You go faster and faster and faster. And that's one thing when you go back to, if you do go to an elimination top 16, is when you start going A, B, C, D, B, A, D, C, you have to start going, hang on a minute, I've got to separate a run out from there and then pull it over here with these guys. And it does make the judge's life a little bit harder. I know when you used to judge G1, um, it was it seemed a little bit like that sometimes because we did again Malala. It's the thing Malala is such a long transit time. Transit time is like twice the length of the actual run itself. So you had yeah. to you had to run multiple battles at the same time. Otherwise, you would literally not get a top sixteen done in a day. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, well, it's I, one of those things as well. You have to keep. In I mind. know that I I watched and sort of. I don't know, took, took a look over all of the, the scores and compared them to um, the live stream and what I thought the scores would be. And I know that I couldn't make a decision quite often. I'd have to, I would watch a run and then have to go back and pause it so I could put my score in and have a think about it. So there's that side of it too, which you guys have sort of alluded to, mm. that it is very quick. If I had to make decisions that quick, like if I was making those decisions without pausing the video. Um, I don't know if I could have made decisions that I felt super comfortable with yeah. that quickly because it's just... And that, that is a good thing. That is, yeah. is a massive credit to the judges as well for the fact mm. that they did get it done. Like, even if they may, maybe would have felt rushed, um, they've still got it done. They've put scores in at least. They haven't gone, oh, shit, what was old mate down there? What was, ah, oh, I don't know, like, you know. It all it was all flowing well. There was never, you know, I never looked across from the commentary box over to the the judges booth and saw confusion. Like I always saw just intent. Like I watched people watching what was going on. I never looked across like straight after a battle and saw people going, "Oh, what's going on?" Right, right. Like it was always they were looking forwards or they were looking down. Like there was they were very, very on on the on the job. And um, a massive shout out to those guys for it's the hardest job in drifting. It's the most thankless job in drifting. Like, stuff that. Like, oh, I couldn't do it. Yeah. No, it's definitely one of the... I'd hate to be making those judging calls some of yeah. those times when you look at it and you're going, oh, i got to send pretty much someone home at the moment. I don't know who I'm going to pick. Or was that a hit or wasn't it a hit? Was he pushed? Yeah. Or was that a 5 or was that a 6 or was that a 5.5 or was that a 6.25? <laughs> yeah. So what did we reckon of the L1 layout? Obviously a new layout that we hadn't run before. Sort of a different direction on the bowl that I don't think we've ever run that direction. I don't think we've ever run from the bowl and then into the infield like we did on, on that round. So... I'll leave that all to uh, you guys because I didn't get to drive that because my car's still broken. You missed out, is what I'll say. You missed out. Um, thanks, it, thanks. Appreciate that. It, it's a um, it's a layout that I hope they do again. It, it's it's a lot of fun. It's sort of for me at least. It, it combines two different, completely different styles of, of drifting in the same course. It starts all open throttle, and I think a few of us were probably surprised, um, even myself, not competing. But the other pro ride guys that I was working with on the day were surprised at how on throttle they had to be when it dried up to keep that line the whole way around the bowl, all the way to the, the transition at the horseshoe. Um, it was a massive, massive throttle track. And then the second half, 
is the tightest stuff you do ever at the bend and it's brilliant you, you get this this really big yin and yang in one layout and uh, it was it was totally different to the other layouts we do for that reason yeah i did find that i, I love the layout and I love driving it, particularly lead runs, flicking into the bowl and then hanging it out there is awesome. But it was a layout that required the lead driver to run the right line for it to work. Because if if the lead driver was shallow, that created some real issues if you're trying to chase them, particularly if you're actually up um, in that pocket. So... That was that was we don't normally run layouts that are, are too much like that that require the lead car to be good and that doesn't have flow on effects too much to the the chase driver but I think that layout that is just something to to think about because it is something that's going to affect the chase driver that much if the lead car isn't in the right position no that comes back to to sort of Ben's point earlier about maybe you know, slightly harsher judging criteria perhaps where where there is that that extra focus on who's actually maybe not consciously but subconsciously shutting the door on their chase driver as a lead uh, and and marking it down a little bit more aggressively um again it's hard not not having done the judging thing it's 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 an en- it's not an enviable job as you say it's, it's completely thankless but you know, anything we can do as a, as a group and a community to try to help them to make it better for them as judges as well. It's yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I think might've been quite difficult for the judges was actually seeing the, the important part of that layout where the lead car needed to be wide, I think would have been very hard to see from the judges viewing spot. Cause it's so far away, but also I'm not sure if the angles really allow you to see if someone's deep or someone's shallow very easily. Um, it's just something that I noticed is it it going through there, the judges didn't seem to, to score harshly on those that were shallow compared to those that were wide. And I think that might have been a factor as it was just really hard to see in quite a distant distance from where the judges were actually sitting. Oh, definitely. So um, obviously commentary box is right next to the judges tower. Um for that and basically you could you could see the bowl pretty well it was pretty easy to gauge someone being either on the wall or a little bit away from wall or, or mid track but that coming up where the quad kick ends and coming up over the crest there you were pretty much blind because you could actually see the bottom of the cars so from the height that we sit which is two stories up um you could well one story up um you could you couldn't actually physically see that part of the track so you could see coming off the bowl, and then you could see where the car, like the wheels were on the car, pretty much as they come up to the top of that crest, right on that outside zone there. So you couldn't quite see where, like you could see if they were really close to that tyre bundle, which I felt like he was maybe a little bit late or early um, there, but the actual physically coming up the hill was, you're pretty much blind from, from that side of the track over there. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I I noticed when I rewatched was that um, drivers that were were shallow weren't weren't really getting penalised for that spot there, and that's just a really critical part for the chase to be good coming up there, and the chase driver not having to handbrake and do all sorts of weird stuff to extend out around the inside clip. So that was just one of the things I noticed with that layout. Maybe next time might be worth having 
um, someone down on the wall, maybe not a judge, but someone that can stand there and go, um, were they on the wall, mid-track or shallow, and can relay that to the judges so they can you know, get a bit, bit of a better idea of where the car was on that part of the track. And that's that's not unprecedented either. So the, the round that we did at Malala before we judged from the stands, um, we did a round where we were judging from the, the tower, which is halfway down the front straight. So we watched um, the entire battles from behind, basically. And we actually had a spotter in the stands basically giving a radio call if a car dropped a tyre on the outside through that section because you literally couldn't see it from the, from the judges' booth so and from the commentary box. So it's not something that hasn't been done before, so it's not something that would be hard to implement it again if needed. I, yeah. I wonder whether a um, some sort of visibility marker, particularly coming off the bowl up the hill there, there was that spot where a lot of people would be dragging like a front right wheel through um, the dirt there if they were cutting that in too much. And as you say, if, if the perspective's not there to see that from the tower, whether putting one of those single vertical bollards in that spot and suddenly from the tower you've then got a perspective of where the car is relative to the bollard, which is the same sort of height as the car, Yeah, it might give them some sort of idea of how far or how close are they to that bollard. Problem being, people will hit it, you then got to reset it. Yeah, how many donkey dicks do you want to erect? Throughout a day. <laughs> yeah. it, it, look, I mean, we see that in things like FD where they've got mm. those bollards that get flinged off every half a lap. If we could focus on, on telling people to be a metre and a half or two metres away from it, not right on it, and go, you're going to be really penalised if you hit it, maybe we don't have to fix it that often. Maybe. <laughs> I don't Perhaps. know. I mean, it, 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 it helps. <laughs> It'd help with the cleanup afterwards as well, because obviously running that real inner line section through there was was digging a decent rut, and you know, obviously we all have to go out and fix that up at the end as well. And the, the guys went back and did a great job the day after the event to actually fill in a lot of the track and things like that. So even if something like that bollard point there would help in that aspect, it's probably a bonus in itself. Yeah, we're to talk about thankless jobs in drifting. You know, you can add that to judging as well. Bloody track cleanup crews, like Solly and Spenny and Maddie and all the guys that hang back afterwards and do an outstanding job pumping tons and tons of dirt into the ruts that um that everyone leaves behind. Like that's just all to obviously help our relationship with the bend. Like at the end of the day, like we're hiring a track and it's expected to be returned in a, a similar state to what it was hired in. So. Um, it's it's a massive effort from those guys that um, that get it done. But I keep going, yeah, I'll help out, and then I get covered in champagne. I'm like, I don't want to help out anymore. I smell like wine. <laughs> uh, well, we'll change the topic around a little bit now. Um, over to pro rides, which is something that you probably know a bit more about us than Tim, seeing as you were out there all weekend taking out people for a lap of their life. Yeah, so I mean. I mean, that was the, the second time I've helped out with that, but the first time I've, I've helped out for a full day from the start. Um, the, the Pro Rides crew are really stepping up now as part of Drifting SA and what they do, and and there's an element to of, of professionalism that's really starting to become part of of that that whole environment. And Thank God it's in the name. <laughs> it, well, it is, isn't it? You know? um, 
But, I mean, it, it went from being a novelty item to being something that I think there's a lot of people that really look forward to it now as something to do. We've had to juggle with, with the drivers. We, we get that there was a, a bit of feeling that it was taking away from some of their time on the track, and and they made significant efforts in this round just gone to, to try to schedule it better, uh, to work between uh, sessions on the track rather than during um, we had to do some catch-up in, in a little bit of, of the day, but then we had a couple of sessions where we we pushed back and we said, look, we're, we're going to skip a session or two here and let, let the crew catch back up again with their schedule. And um, but it is it's a really it's a really rewarding uh, sort of sort of role to be involved in. And I mean, for myself this year, I, I sort of decided that this year I'd take a break from competing and and clean up a couple of my cars, and I had. The Ute, which is a really nice, big, comfortable car that um, that people seem to enjoy driving and, and coming for rides in because it sort of floats around. It's not quite as harsh and aggressive as some of the sort of 1,000-kilo fiberglass cars that, that really are bouncy and noisy and hot and moving your feet. And and so I said to the guys, I'd, ha I'd happily help out, and they've, they've been happy to have me. But it is great. The the, the people that come out, they've – They've either never had any drifting experience before or they're there to support a friend um, or a family member and they don't necessarily want to get in that person's car because they don't want to put them off. They want to see them do really well. But they've got this opportunity to, to pay money and, and put on a helmet and jump in a car that they know is going to be loud and fast and it's driven by someone with experience and they have a ball. The, the, the reactions from some of these people, are anything from just stunned silence to hooting and hollering and arms waving out windows and we keep sort of going just keep keep your arms in the cars guys just hand down but you know they love it and it's it's really growing into being a real part of of the the fiasa experience um and the events and, and yeah. as a typical drifting sa thing as well so like most people you go oh pro rides and you see like one or two cars like rolling around and you know people oh yeah we're having fun and then like it's like drifting sa pro rides you got seven car trains and like we're not talking like you know, when you started off, I was being Landy's like, yeah, we said we'd take it easy, and we like left like a car and a half between us all, and like it looked all nice and professional. And then like I think like three sessions in, you guys were like trying to door each other coming up the hill, and and like you know obviously when that happens, you have that little little element of you know um, you know you get some bobbles and you know, a couple of spins here or there or whatever. But like I know like very little people that would have had that experience in a like a, a friend's drift car that like knows like say someone like Vitali, like Dale's number one crewman, probably would have had foolish line would have been the only other time you'd be in a, a situation where you're in more than three or four cars in a pack. And like when you're six, seven, eight, nine cars deep in a train, like it is a whole nother world. So, like, that's an experience that a lot of people that have maybe been into drifting for a number of years may not have already experienced. And, and it's something that's really, really special. And um, it's something that you can't get anywhere else. And, like, that's by the end of the day, like, you know, you're just going, you know, I'm watching six, seven cars, you know, nail a, a really good tandem. Like, you know, you, you're transitioning within feet of each other kind of thing and, like, getting on the doors and stuff. And it got to the point where, like, some of the cars at the back were basically stopping in the hairpin because they had nowhere to go because you had that accordion effect. And it's like, I've never, like, you don't, there's no way to get in something like that, like, at all. Like, no. no I mean, yeah, they don't let you do stuff like that unless you're in a situation like that with pro rides, like, running that many cars together in such proximity. 
So oh, look, I mean, we've all been around drifting as you know the group, everyone here, you know, for several years. I mean, you know, I've been going out to the track and watching it for the best part of 16, 17, 16 years probably, and driving now for eleven. And to be in, in sort of part of that and, and see that I've been up to Queensland, I've been to their mat series. They don't let you run trains if you've got a passenger. So you don't get to experience it there. We've been over and we've seen the Technolo Drift Challenge and then what later became the World Time Attacks Drift Challenge. And they run rides with the pro for, for competition winners. And, you know, my, my old man, he's been out in those competitions before. He got to go in the car with Daigo Saito and he's been out with some of the, the top Queensland guys like Levi Clark and stuff like that. And those are great, but they're always solo passes there's seven eight car links between them on the track um to to give people that experience of, of putting them in the middle of a train like that and know that for the most part yeah there's always a, a you know slim risk and stuff but for the most part we really trust the other guys that we're driving with there and we know that we're going to keep it as clean as we possibly can there's there's always that that risk that yeah we're going to actually run into the the other car and that's the 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 fear factor that you're putting into that passenger that, that excites them it's that adrenaline but but we know that we've got confidence. The other guy's going to do that that lead line that we need them to do to be able to door them. And we know that we're then doing the same lead line that the guy behind us is going to be right on our door. And, yeah, it, it's a it's a sensation you can't replicate. Wayskate cracking in one ear, another one cracking in the other ear, or in my case, V8 pipes going <laughs> either way. Yeah. <laughs> It, it had to be said, you know, I mean, I was the only non-JZ-powered car for most of the day there, and then I think the one run that, one or two runs that Aussie did with us, I was the only non-six-cylinder inline six-turbo car, but... Um, Bloody it, thong-slapper, mate. Yeah, yeah. It, look, it is. It's just, it's one of those, it's been an incredible thing to be a part of, and I'm really glad I can do something like that this year, and um, it, it keeps my sort of hunger there to come back and, and compete again next year, but... Um, yeah, it gives, gives me a great joy to be to be part of that sort of team and, and that, that environment this year and be doing that. It's it's really something worth worth checking out for people that haven't seen it. Even just even just as a, a, a time filler or a show thing for people to see, um, there's not a lot until best of the rest where people are doing that level of trains throughout the day. Um, especially not at the, the non super rounds where we don't have the team drift element in the afternoon. Mm. And you keep that sort of stuff in perspective to imagine if you went to a state race event and they said, pay 90 bucks, a hundred bucks, and we'll do a mock race. And we're going to, we're going to do a mock mm. race with a whole bunch of passengers in the car. That's pretty much what pro rides is doing, except for yeah. drift, which is probably more intense than a, a mock race anyway. Yeah. Just think like those two seater F ones, but like <laughs> six of them going around at the same time within inches of each other. Like it's basically that. And that's that. I think I think next round I'm gonna have to get into one of these cars like towards the back with the with the um with the robot penis, and um <laughs> and and um see if we can get it on the live stream with me just screaming for dear god. <laughs> well, there's no lack of pro rides too. I'm not sure of the exact number, but I heard seventy-ish something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was seventy-five in the end this time. We were we were. Shy on our, our aim. I think we're aiming for at least 90, but the weather hindered that. We just didn't have as many spectators as we would have liked, and that's that's fine. You know, it, it meant the day ran just as smooth as it needed to. We, we didn't have to cram. Um, it certainly they've got to points before where we had less cars doing the pro rides where they had to really cram 
some of the passenger rides in in the afternoon and now we're spreading it out we're allowing for a little bit of um maintenance on the cars throughout the day because we, we all know that you push those cars hard like that all day long at least one of them's going to have an issue um but you know it, it's good it, it's it, it gets more people into the events and checking out drifting at the level that we've got it in this state and enjoying it yeah um and i, I couldn't think of a, of, of a better idea in terms of getting more people interested in being there um yeah and as a as a driver i don't know if jack how jack felt about it but i found that this round was so much smoother it felt like they were the pro rides was taking up so much less time on track when i thought i should be or could be driving because i'd do these six seven car trains but it was essentially only one lap because everyone's so close that they start at the same time finish at the same time and all there is is three laps downtime and then pro rides bugger off for the next half an hour whatever it is to change over all of their uh, you know participants so uh, yeah i don't know about you jack but i found it was much less intrusive this yeah 100 percent. one thing I've, <clears throat> i think i noticed was you guys must have been coming out between each of our sessions and then even then we were sitting in sort of lineup in the in the pit or whatever ready to come out and i noticed you guys would do two laps and as you took off for your, you know, your second lap, they'd send us all out. By the time we got up to the dummy grid or whatever, you guys come and did your third lap, and then we were good, good to go again. It was mm. a time that we were sort of sitting at the start line, waiting. You know, you'd get the odd, you know, a couple of views that would lap behind, but no, it was heaps, heaps better. I even said to like the people who had passenger, like same sort of thing, and um, yeah, I didn't, it didn't hinder it at all. And I think there was what seven of views or something at one stage, you know, like yeah, yeah, and it was um. Yeah, no, it was good. And like I said, the day, I think the day got behind a little bit at the start. We were like half hour behind or something. But that got made up and obviously all the pro rides got done. So, no, I, I think time-wise it's it doesn't hinder anything. I think it's 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 finally sort of, you know, race control is obviously all over it um, and, and you guys being so much more organised now. And even the stand you guys have the girls set up, you know, for it just looks, it looks actually killer. Like it's, one thing every time I see it, I'm like, that actually, it is pro. It is, it is pro now. It's not just a couple of cars and chucking some people in. It's, it is. It's, it's, it was a novelty thing, and now it's like, it is so professional. Mm, it's a big shout Definitely out the, oh. yeah, the, 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 the timing thing is just, yeah, I, I, I have to applaud Landon, Dean, um, the, the, the admin girls, so um, like Simon's partner, Jenna, and, and uh, Landon's friend, Georgina, they, they've done a great amount of work to to rethink what they were doing originally and come up with this idea of scheduling it um, yeah. and allowing that that thing. And the first time they tried it was this, this round just gone. And to get the feedback from drivers that were doing it that said, yeah, it was nowhere near as bad as the time before in terms of how how it was cutting into their day or whatever that's yeah that's perfect that's that's exactly what it needs to be it's it's great to be able to say we don't have downtime at our events and the drivers don't feel like they're getting hindered by that either yeah for sure no definitely yeah it's definitely paying off whatever they're doing however they're organizing it so yeah keep doing that so a little uh, little deviation now um away from uh, drifting sa rounds High tech, that was looking good for this weekend, but it's been shit canned now. Then we're yep. going to have a practice day on one of those no, days that high tech was going to be on. That was, never gonna, that was never going to happen. <laughs> you, 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 you're going to get 50 cars in 
with one one week's notice or one and a half weeks notice, never gonna happen. I was keen. I wanted to drive. Of course, you're keen. You've got a car ready to go. I saw that. I'm like, fuck, my car's broken still. (laughs) And you know what? Eighty percent of Adelaide went, fuck, my car's broken still. So like, um. But that being said, um. If you want to get your fix of drifting at the bend, I did see a sneaky little uh, mention of Locktoberfest coming back. So um, yep. that was that was the first time I drove the bend. That was when I had the Cephi, Uh two years ago now, almost two years. It'll be two years in October. And um, that's your best opportunity to go out and try out, like, you know, because the layout's changing and all that stuff. So if you want to go out, drive the bend without the, the stress of being in the competition... <laughs> It's that's your your opportunity to do it and uh, go out and have a thrash and have some fun and at least this one will be under races this time and not double ASA like it was the first time back then when I didn't have a cage and had to go do solo laps by myself. <laughs> so that was that uh, was less than fun because you don't get much of a chance to drive the bend that isn't no, a comp. No, I think that Locktoberfest is that one event you get to drive the stadium track at this point. So yeah. So unless you want to go and drop ten to fifteen grand and hire it for yourself for the weekend and then fill your potholes back in, um, yeah, that's pretty much your only chance to drive the stadium circuit. So, yeah, there's going to be another school coming up in a couple of weeks and another, I think, uh, open skid pan session and possibly mini comp at the end. Yes, July seventeenth. 17th, yep. So, uh, yeah, if you want to have a, a crack, obviously not on the stadium track, but on the skid pan, which is actually a pretty decent it's size. It's deceptively fun. Itself. It's, it's deceptively it's fun. Huge. It's huge. You can get so much speed and so much angle and stuff in that space. It's, it's not like skid pans that people have been used to before. I mean, I've been to the skid pan at QR and it's nothing like that. It, it's We've got the, the skid pan at Malala. It's nothing like that. And for the dollar value, I think it's what about ninety dollars um, for the open skid pan in the afternoon. You, you just you're going to have a ball. It's yeah. yeah. There's nothing. To, there's nothing to hit. There's there's loads of track time. You're going to run out of fuel and tires before you run out of, of of day. It's just it's yeah. It's definitely worth it if you if you just want to have a, have a go even at drifting and you're not sure about the afternoon. Book in for it. Talk to the guys. Come and do the drift school in the morning. Um, See how you're feeling. You get an hour overlap where we open up the track as well, which is always really good. So um, the drift school guys in the morning finish sort of midday, but the afternoon doesn't start till one. And so you get the school guys that have learned some skills in the morning and feel get to try on, on the full for, thing. Go for the full track, then give it a go, yeah. And it's a yeah. third gear entry. In mm. in my 180, you're in third gear when you enter. That's mm. It's gone. You're hooking pretty good. Mm. So... It's, uh, yeah, definitely, like you said, not a normal skid pan sort of arrangement. You can actually get some pretty damn good speed out there. And honestly, yeah, you run out of tires and fuel, like you said. You get as much track time as you want. It reminds me of Live for Speed. I, I don't know if you guys ever played Live for Speed back in the day, but they had this big skid pan that everybody online would play, and you'd just do lap after lap of random layouts. And I, that's pretty much what it feels like Live for Speed in real life to me, so... Uh, yep. So we also had a special thing here written Tim's questions. 
Do we have questions for Tim? I've just written the heading. That's Did it. you write Tim's questions? I don't even see a bit that says Tim's questions. Yeah, I wrote it on mine like five minutes before we started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I think we've we've covered pretty much most of the stuff. Um, obviously, like we've gone through a little bit of your history. You have said how long you've been driving for, but like um, I remember when I first saw you driving is when you had that uh, white S14 with the um, the rusty bonnet, I think. Yeah, which is actually my, my second the, second. The See, I'm, yeah. I was late to the scene. I didn't really get into drifting until like 2011, 2012 ish, like properly. So that mm. was probably around then. That would have been about ten years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, I I started early 2010, and I did a few events with a um a little Corolla. It was a KE70, but it had a 4AG ZE motor with a, a little turbo off of an R32 GDR stuck on the side of it, and it sounds good in theory, but it was it was a pig. <laughs> it was an absolute absolute dog of a car, and <laughs> it had a, a Jap ECU in it that was cool, but no one had software to tune it at the time in Adelaide, which meant it made no horsepower at all. Some of the NA ones make made more these days than than it made back then, and had no no knuckles, no steering. It was it was a bit of a bit of a dog's dinner that car, and, you know. But it was it got me out there and got me started, and then you know I, I jumped into the fourteen and, and sort of never looked back. But um, it, it's been an interesting journey. I mean, I, I certainly I started out probably down a pathway a lot of people do, which is generally seen as the wrong pathway these days, which is more power, more power, more power. And I kept doing it early on and until sort of 2013, 2014, where I was punching. Yeah, over 300 kilowatts out of an SR back then, which was, was only a handful of people scary, doing that scary. all the time. <laughs> and um, it just cost money. The car didn't like it. It was laggy. It was horrible. You know, it didn't drive that well. And yeah, when, it, when it broke, I, I kind of pulled out for a while and went and did the adult thing for a bit and bought a house and a few things. And then I, I kind of got into driving some lower-powered stuff. And, and I don't think I've had anything since 2014 with over 300 kilowatts. I've gone through something like five other cars since then, just things I put together, drive for a bit and part out and start again. But um, I, I think I've learned a lot more driving lower-powered cars than I ever did in the first couple of years driving higher-powered cars. It's, it, for lack of any better way of putting it, it taught me to drive better. You know, it just, you had to get good because everyone around was getting way good and... If you had less power, you had to work it harder to do it. Yeah, yeah, really had to to learn how to drive the car. Tate's a really good example with the CA car pushing that as hard as he has for as long as he has. It's you work what you've got, and if you force yourself to do that with less, what you pull out of that seems to be more. And you can't cover yourself. If you've mm. got power, you can cover mistakes. If you haven't got power, you make one little mistake. And uh, you're straightening up, or you're, you're running out of speed for corners. So, I mean, I said that to um, one of my passengers in the pro rides at the last round about the Ute. The Ute doesn't make huge horsepower, but it makes bucket loads of torque, and that's that's a godsend for that sort of forgiving side of it, which is what makes it a really good car for passenger rides because it kind of allows me to have a few mistakes, and I can just sort of clutch yep, in and get big, back out of them. Margin. Where you can just go, oh, I need to put my foot down, and the car's gonna go okay. Whereas, like you know, with something like a J with a big turbo, unless you're like up right up here in the rev range, and you put your foot down, the car's gonna go, 
Nah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nah, that, that ain't it, Chief. Yeah. Commanding 100% throttle, Turbo says, nah, mate, having a beer. Nah. No space base having a beer. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so you, you've obviously had a whole bunch of cars. You've, you've done the Jap car route. Um, and you've now come over to the dark side. And um, you do you do have a Commodore. Um, and as uh, we were discussing before we started, obviously um, Jack's, Jackson and myself are quite uh, big proponents of Commodore drifting. Um, but I've basically... I've had a couple of Jack cars, but basically I've always been in some sort of some sort of Commodore, and um, Jack's had quite a few himself. So, um, how did you find that transition? Because there's a lot of people doing it now, and I don't know how we're going for. Oh, we're a bit over an hour now, but um, we were going to discuss some stuff about that. But with more and first more people... twenty minutes was shit talking. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, true. But um, <laughs> gonna get cut. <laughs> with with more more and more people now, like obviously with the way the way Jap car prices are going and the Euro scene just really not being that strong here, um, with BMWs and stuff like that, we are seeing more and more people um, latching on to to Commodores and Falcons and starting to explore that territory. How did you find that transition? And uh, Look, I mean, being yeah. one of those people that was right on the the the, the forefront of that wave, really, because you've had it for a couple of years now. Yeah. Look, I mean, yeah. yeah. The domestic scene is is get, getting there. It's growing in Australia, but we've been one of those few countries that that hasn't embraced its domestic car market very much for drifting. We, no. We've always stayed a very purist nation when it comes to to drifting. People always stayed with the Japanese cars, and uh, and particularly in South Australia, we've always been a scene that tended to lean towards Japanese cars with turbocharged Japanese engines. Yeah, it was frowned upon to LS swap things in SA. It's because, you know, there's this purist notion that lives here and it's, it is it is what it is. And so to, to do that transition, you get a fair bit of grimacing looks from people where they go, oh, not that thing, not, not a V8. You know, why, why are you doing that? It, for me, it was just a challenge. It was something different. I wanted to try something different. And um, I, I'd had a, a five litre V8 uh, ute that I'd taken out and done some dirt rally work. And, I enjoyed it. I, I liked the sort of talkiness and the doughiness. I thought it was just good fun. Um, and when the opportunity came up to, to get this ute that had this a roll cage in it already and, and, a, and a motor that seemed okay, I, I said, hey, let, let's have a go for a bit of fun. And I, I certainly had a steep learning curve. You, know, you jump into a V chassis, the Commodores, particularly a third gen, which, you know, have really average independent rear suspension to put it nicely mm, that's um, an understatement <laughs> and then you try to drive them like an s chassis and you you fail miserably you, you fail absolutely miserably it takes a whole lot of learning to understand that they drive differently the flip side of that is if you start with one of those an s chassis feels like someone came down from the heavens and handed you a gold platter and said here you go and it just drives itself mm. you know, um I think it's a beautiful place for people to start is the domestic car scene. Uh, I think the, the skills that it teaches you in actually having to throw the weight of a vehicle around and tell it what to do more than just let it float to those positions and just correct it a little bit, it's immensely good for teaching and learning and getting the feel of drifting. Um, one of the cars that, that we have as a, as a paddock basher essentially is just a bog stock plain V6 ute and I've taken that out to X Park and we've done skid pan days with that. It is bone stock. It has a pair of lowered springs in the rear and a welded diff. Stock height front springs, 
the stock knuckles simply cambered into their maximum point on standard front struts and standard height springs, and that thing's a lot of fun. It's it's boaty and it takes a lot of effort to keep it sliding because it doesn't have heaps of horsepower and heaps of steering lock. But it, it the skills that you get from from actually forcing something that size that's you know seventeen hundred kilos, no power and lots of body roll to stay sliding and make it not look terrible, those skills transfer over. The only thing you got to be careful of when you go back to something like um, for me like the S thirteens is the snap of the S13 oh, is yeah. so aggressive. Oh, you, you jump yeah. back into it and you, and you go, oh, crap, where are we going? And, and it takes you a couple of minutes to get used to that again. But beyond that first couple of minutes, yeah, it's everything you've picked up about forcing and telling the, the bigger, heavier domestic car where to go. It's it's so much more fun to then drive something that, that has all of those things as a given because you can force them to do a lot more crazy weird shit because you, you've you've had this experience of the of the domestic cars. Mm, very good. <laughs> any, any questions, Jack? You, you're very very quiet down there in, in the corner. I don't know <coughs> no, which no, corner no, you're no, going to end up being in, but you know, in the corner, bottom one of left, one of them. Uh, yeah, Tim pretty much covered it. Like, um, yeah, Commodores are definitely. Different. I don't know. I haven't personally driven a lot of S chassis. Um, I drove my mate Matt's S13 years ago now, but it was a bucket of junk. And apart from that, I've only really driven either like R33s or like JZXs, um, which are basically Commodores. Basically Commodores. Although, like my JZX110 now drives way different to my VE, even though it's a very similar sized car. Um, heaps different to drive. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess I've driven Utes, well, Commodores for years now, and I've just gotten used to them being junk. And but same sort of thing. You just you just drive them so much. Um, but yeah, I don't. I can't. You know, I can't relate to S chassis because I don't know. Um, whereas yeah, obviously Tim, you've come from S chassis, like pretty much all S chassis. I think you had a thirty-three though as well, didn't you? I did, but. But to be fair... He I definitely had a 33. I remember that 33. The, the, the 33, <laughs> though, to, to be fair to it, was, um, was McPherson Strut converted. So oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I, didn't right. even, I didn't even play with the double wishbone setup. I went okay. straight to Mac yep. conversion because yep. I drove it once with the double wishbone and went, no, nah, don't like it. Oh, this, um, is, this is bad. <laughs> so, so I cheated. I cheated and that thing had ridiculous amounts of caster and, and it self-steered like I wasn't even in the car. It was... Yeah. It was it was silly that car in terms of how much I managed to put in the front of it, and it was it was different for me to go to an RB. I'd always been in SRs and stuff. Um, I don't mind RBs. I'm just not a huge fan. I'm not going to go spend you know lots and lots of money on an RB. I sort of I'll enjoy them as a stock motor, and you know I, I I'm one of those weird guys that I enjoy the sound of LSs and SRs. I'm I'm, I'm peculiar. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's there's not many like that, but. Um, I don't know. The Commodore thing is an interesting one. It's the, the best way I can put it is for the first probably year that I had that thing running, I was reacting to that car. That was it. I wasn't in control of it. I was I was reacting. I'm now finally getting to a point, another almost year on again, particularly now with the pro rides where I'm able to drive with guys that have so much. Um, you can I can instill so much confidence in what they're going to do. Yeah. that I'm actually now at a point where I, I'm telling the, the you what to do. I'm telling that Commodore where I want it to be, and it's it's being there. Um, you, you feel like you're in front of the car instead of chasing it now. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's that's been a huge turnaround in, in the confidence I have in that car now. Is you know, I mean, reliability-wise, the thing's ridiculous. It's it. I haven't put a spanner on that car in three outings. Um, yeah, it, it's mechanically been really, really good to me, and that's you know, touch wood somewhere that um, that's how it stays. Because call that the benefit of, of a domestic that's you know easy to do parts for and stuff compared to some of the turbo cars, but that sort of reliability it's it's key in seat time if you, if you want to just keep going all day long and that's why i love seeing these guys in like the au falcons and stuff like that because those those intech four liters will just go all day long they'll run without coolant they'll run without anything yeah they'll run without oil for about an hour it's yeah. they're ridiculous yeah no, it's also yeah. a matter of um finding what cars like those things are just everywhere compared to anything these days you can't get jack cars even the beamers are expensive i mean in, running out of uh, manual options yeah i mean in in the commodore's defense they're not that cheap at the moment like like anything due to fucking covid or whatever you want to call it they're not cheap like i was obviously looking for a new street car and i was going to go buy another ve like ss or something but it wasn't any point because i mean i paid too much for a jzx 110 but for a VESS that I could have bought a year ago for 10, 15 grand and now 30 grand. And I'm like, no, they're not worth that, you know. Um, but it's like anything. All, all cars have gone up ridiculous, but jump cars are just insane. And anyone that picks up one now that's, you know, I guess cheap, it's not even that cheap and you don't want to go taking it to a track. But I guess you, can, you can't even find like a VXSS, you know, which is a, you know, that'd be a cheaper sort of, Manual that's your, your baseline. That's the first of the of the the um, yeah the LS six speeds basically. Yeah, but even like I bought one a couple of years ago that for two grand six speed mm. LS, and now probably ten would be your cheapest. Oh, if, be a, yeah, if you're a lucky. Bomber. If you're lucky. Yeah. So if you're lucky, I mean, I saw a VUSS yesterday for eighteen, and you know it's a twenty-one year old car yeah. or thereabouts, and you know. It, it, who knows what life it's had? I mean, the VZ that I've got, that thing was a 16 year old car, but it was cheap. Yeah. And I put, I put, you know, six, seven grand into making the thing really reliable and then made it cosmetically how I wanted. But, you know, it, it's the dollar value to start with. If I had to start at 15 or, or, or 16 to start with, never would have done it. Never. Yeah. And right. it is a massive, a massive thing now for people coming into the sport. There is such like drifting's always been seen as like the one of the cheapest motorsports, and it still is. But like that barrier entry now is just gone up and up and up and up and up, and like it's not like oh, the amount of times that I've bought like I've bought a twenty debt thirty one for under five k, or like I bought my VUSS for three and a half, and like I bought that black SS of Jack for three, I think it was or two seven or something. After you were done with it. And then even then, like, I sold that for three and a half or four. But, like, all yeah, these, yeah. like, they were cheap. And, like, if you want to go, ah, oh, I want to go out and do drifting because Brack's on this weekend, you could go out and find them. Like, I've gone out and bought a VN, a manual VN for 500 bucks just to go out and do Prack. Fucking good, good luck. luck. Good four, fucking, four grand today. Good fucking four luck. Grand today for one that, that doesn't run properly because someone it's, thinks the manual conversion's worth four grand. Yeah, bro, I know what I've got. It's a fucking $800 pedal box. My housemate. Just spent five hundred dollars on a pedal box for a second gen because they are just impossible to find, and everyone's just marking them up. That's without a clutch master or anything. That's just the mm. pedal box itself. Fucked. 
absolutely fucked. But this is a whole different tangent that... Yeah, we're definitely we, going off topic. We definitely don't need to get on, but domestic's no. still the cheapest way in. But like the barrier to barrier to entry is like it, it's absolutely. I think crazy. I think these days outside of domestic, so outside of six cylinder Falcons and Commodore based vehicles, I think the three series BMWs are the next wing after that price wise at the moment. They may not have necessarily the horsepower factory. Some of them do. If you get a six cylinder one, it might be enough. But they're the best starting chassis because then you jump straight to ten grand for. Z and V chassis um, Nissans, you know, which I can't is... find them anymore. Though that's the problem. All the yeah. manual ones have disappeared. He's the BMW guy, and if he can't I... find them, no one can yeah. find them. Yeah. What's it? Wait... Did we end up getting uh, an update Alan. on old mate with that cheap E30? It was an E36. Oh yeah, no, I, I don't know where that one. <laughs> I never know what happened. That, that, that troll. But... <laughs> but yeah, I, the cheapest one I've seen recently was Alan Siddle's soul. Well, had a car that looked like mine like poop mm. silver e46 but still had the original engine 2.5 manual and that was five grand but i think that disappeared pretty much straight away i and told I him to put his seven liter in it i said to him i said pull the seven liter running gear out of your your, your monaro I said stop wasting time with the monaro just park the shell it's a cool shell it's unique it's interesting so but put the seven liter into your bmw and thrash on it for a couple of years and just enjoy the seat time in something that's going to have more grip, be lighter, more nimble. You know, and he was all for it, but then obviously changed his mind. It's a trap. It's not it's as easy as it sounds. <laughs> How do you find the, the, the rear end, the E46 rear end? Oh, it's got plenty of grip. It wants to go forward. I, I haven't even fiddled around with the rear end. I've, I've got um, sway bar. I didn't even have a front sway bar. I thought I had a front sway bar, but Apparently, the lock that the E46 has, and it's connected, the sway bar link is connected to the actual strut. Yeah, so like as it turns, it just snapped it off. So I didn't even realize that I didn't have a front sway bar. Nice. Pretty much most of the time that I've been driving it. So It's, it's um, funny. I mean, yeah, I, I, I took that out of the Commodore. Yeah, I, I took that out of the Commodore and went to a direct link on the lower control arm, which, which works all right on the Commodore. That's what I've got as well. But there are some that argue the other way. I think Chelsea Denofa is a really good example. He went back to a, a custom link off of the strut, and he uses that in his driving in the Mustangs. Yeah. I saw someone yeah. ask Chelsea a comment about that the other day, and he said, no, no, it's pivotal to the way this thing steers. He's running the drop link off the strut. Yeah, um, but that thing's got so much weight jacking and stuff like that that going off the off the LCA would probably throw the car off. Yeah, yeah. So, and... Yeah. Chelsea's a Chelsea's a rain man when it comes to that kind of stuff. So like whatever he whatever he does, like he knows why he has his reasons and like he'd be able to give you a a two page diagram of like exactly what forces go through which point. It's like a American Stewie. Yeah, Yeah. basically they're basically the same person. They both drive like nutcases. And then they start talking about suspension. You see the numbers and symbols start floating around their heads. Like, they're basically the same person. Have you been watching the um, the breakdown he's been doing of the FD? I haven't I watched I round three Facebook. yet. I've, I've been waiting to get onto that, but I've watched round one and two, and it's really, really interesting. I think an, an interesting uh, video from Chelsea, like Scott Miller, of all people, shared this afternoon a back-to-back on his Instagram story, the video of the footwell in Chelsea's Mustang versus Vaughan Gittin's Mustang on the same 
lap of, of the last round they just did for their, their qualifiers. Mm. And the driving style difference just between those two guys with very, very similar cars is insane. Like, Vaughan is so much, so much left foot brake the whole time. Chelsea is all about feathering the clutch to have the same effect. It's both both guys are stalling up the car, but Chelsea's doing it with engine load and the clutch, and Vaughan's doing it all with foot brake. And, and just to see that sort of technical difference in two people driving almost identical chassis is is crazy at that that top level. Mm. But mm. yeah, I've been I've been finding those FD ones really interesting, like pointing out stuff that I didn't even think of when it comes to to judging and how you know this person's done that, so this is the effect of it. So yeah, that's certainly. Something to take a look at if anyone's yeah. got time up their sleeve. A lot of time. It's an hour and a half. Mm. Round three, one. Mm. <laughs> Very good. I'm looking forward to that. Eventually. Eventually I'll find an hour and a half. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. All right. All right. So. Well, I guess probably one thing to talk about. I don't know if it re- you know reflects with Commodores and that, but like an Australian Drift Week or Drift Weekend... Commodores, I just want to drive see, mine across all the states. See and... how, if you look at the run sheet, goes if we have time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're like basically an hour and a half into, oh, well, we're an hour and a half into recording. We're probably like an hour and 15 or an hour and 20 in. But... I don't know. I just want to put my opinion forward and say <laughs> someone should organise it. Yeah, look, I'd love to go there, but I don't want to get trapped in another state. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think, I think at this stage... Yeah, at this right stage, now. the only way you could run one would be like in South Australia and you'd start at X Park and then you'd go to Malalar and then you'd try to see if we could somehow break into AR and then you'd come up to the bend. And so you'd have four tracks in a week and they're all like in, in, a, in a chronological order on the road. And then we'll just um, all go down and mob Mount Gambier. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, we'll, be we'll, we'll just spot, roll yeah. in. We'll, just, we'll park two cars at the top of the hill, um, go roads closed, Pete's Boy, find another way home. <laughs> And we could we could probably get Port Mac. Yeah, we could possibly all... get access to Port Mac. Yeah. That, that actually could be doable. Oh, uh, yeah. So we got we got. Uh, we'll, we'll keep Gambia because I like Gambia. I want to write my. We'll do Gambia last so I can write my car off again. And then um, so that's that's five six. That's 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 pretty good. And let's be honest, it's you know it's South Australia. We're still covering fucking probably you know six well, seven, good... six, seven eight hundred k's yeah. or more oh, at least in that. To go to go X Park to Mount Gambia is probably a thousand k. Yeah. Yeah, so. And Drift yeah, Week, I've, I've that one real about... quick. They're like, oh, let's do it in sections now in different areas because, oh, yeah, America's big. Forgot about that. <laughs> I've been thinking about Drift Long Weekend or something like that instead. So mm. do three tracks over a long weekend rather than committing a whole week to it. Might be a, a small-scale start or an essay start to that. Yeah. But yeah, I, did, I did that, basically. Or I did two tracks in a weekend. Because the same weekend Locktoberfest was on, um, there was a bracket mat at Malala. So I did Friday night at Locktoberfest and then Saturday night at Malala, um, back to back. So that was that was pretty cool. I think there was a couple that did that. I think I think Kelly did that as well. Mm. So, and I wasn't yeah, I wasn't planning on doing it either. I just I drove Locktoberfest and went, yeah, that was fun. Then. Will's gone, I'm going to Malala for prac. I'm like, I'm going to Malala for prac. So I went down to Statewide and spent 800 bucks that I didn't really need to spend and then went, well, I'm going to go to Malala now. So Yeah, I did it with Malala, prac, and I think it was ARR for like Gazanats or whatever it used to be called. Oh, when we Oz- did drift, drift demos for um, yeah. um, uh, Oznats. Oznats, yeah. Oznats. Oznats. Yeah. Oznats. Aussie. 
Yeah, that yeah. was. Uh, I miss. I miss AIR. That was. That oh, was fun. It was terrible. It was terrible, but it was fun. Yeah. AIR is the only place I've had a legitimate crash in in eleven years. <laughs> so, and it wasn't even my fault. I mean, they never are, are they? <laughs> nah, none of the times I've crashed, it's been my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Damn walls keep jumping out at me. Justin Coder's jumped out at me. No, he does that. I've noticed, right? I've noticed. Every time someone spins in front of me, I manage to stop the car and not hit them. Every time I spin in front of someone else, I just get fucking cleaned up every time. I don't know what it is. I've cleaned up twice. Yeah. Yeah. You're not one of those people that gets out of the throttle, though. Hmm? You're not one of those people that gets out the throttle when they spin, though. No. No. I just go, and I've spun. <laughs> Brody manages to not hit me, but, you know, well-ish. <laughs> it's, it's funny, like, me, me and, uh, and Dan Hollins, we've had a habit of we can both really well avoid each other in incidents all the time. We've done it for, you know, seven or eight years or more, and almost without fail, if there's someone else drifting with us, one of us gets hit by the third person, mm-hmm. almost without fail. It's happened at least three times to us. You know, Is that because the third person's been Gilmore? Or... <laughs> Surprisingly, <laughs> Gilmore hasn't actually made contact with either me or Hollands. Oh. He's made contact with a few people. We love Gilmore. Oh, we love Gils. <laughs> He's made contact with a few people and broken a few desks or workbenches. But, but you know, that's... <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, he has. All right. Well, um... Anybody got anything else, or are we we good to wrap this up? Because I reckon I'm pretty. I, I think we, we glossed we glossed over one one little thing. L twos, the return of none other than D one Davy. Oh yeah, that, was, that goes back to the the car versus driver um, thing with Davy me going about you know Davy coming back. Maybe he shouldn't be an L two, but yeah, he should have been an L two. He was he was pretty pretty L two ish that weekend. Look, yeah, and and for him Davey. to drive an L he drove, a, he, a, to, to his credit, he drove that there, did L2, and then drove it home. So like, he drove it home, yeah. Had a like little it, smack in the front left corner, but didn't have the headlight. He was, so, but yeah, that was just a, a little tidbit to go, yeah, well done to Davey to come back after a, a long hiatus. There's a lot of kids out there that may not even have realized who Davey was, but would remember the photos of the old Matt Green, you know, primer. Oh, yeah, I dropped in hey, the D1 that... Davy in the commentary, and then Danny come up with L2 Davy. I'm like, oh, that's heaps better. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, yeah like, Davy, Davy stopped drifting before I started drifting, and yeah. I've been drifting for almost ten years. Mm-hmm. So, my, no, my, look, my I mean, first Davey... event was 2012. So, my my first tandem. My first tandem was with Davey, with my Corolla and his Corolla. And oh, of course it was. It was. Of course it was. I've got to love the Corolla life. Was but, that when um, he was no. still Turbo 4 Age as well, or was that when he got LS? Yeah, no, that was when he was still Turbo 4 Age. Yeah, so. And he's actually made power and had, had an actual ECU. <laughs> but um, no, look, I mean, yeah, I, I don't. I, I can't forget that it was, it was Davey, of, of all people, that said to me early on, you need to enter a pro comp. You know, don't don't do a street class at your next event. You need to enter the pro comp. You're ready to do that. And that was in like 2012. He was telling me to do that at stadiums. And 
that that is one of those interesting things that that's that's where I got my starting in competing at what was our state's higher level at that point in stadium drift and never looked sort of back from there that yeah, it was David that pushed me to do that. So to see him come back this last round and, and enter in L2 and... He, yeah, did, was, he did cop was... a bit of shit about that. I know that as well, so... And you were feeding it. Ah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Like, let's be honest, like, you know, it is a, a stock, JZX110, so, you know... We do have some... They're not that good stock. Yeah, they're not... It's got arms and stuff, but, like, you know, it's still pretty much stock power and all that, and, like... Yeah. You know, we have to go, oh, yeah, that's right. He hasn't driven for 10 years. And, like, yeah, Davey was really good back in the day, but also the sport has progressed so <laughs> far in that 10 years. we got to remember, like, we got to remember when, like, Adam May and Lyndon Reynolds and stuff came back, like, they came back into L1, but they also had, you know, basically full prep comp cars ready to go. And even they come and went, oh, fuck. we got to actually, like, do some, like, we got to pull our finger out of here and actually, you know, put some work in. So, um, you know, props to David. I mean, Dave, to David out. was, you know, yeah, he was yeah. fighting the car on the day two. He put an exhaust on it the day before and it was boost cutting because it was suddenly breathing more. <laughs> and so Isn't every it time it loaded bent up, his it, rack uh, or it was boost as well? Yeah, uh, so... But no, props to him for coming back. I, I look forward to seeing more of him and, and more of him in the future at more of the events. I think it's it's good to see him back, and, and we're only going to see him get better and get back in the groove again, I reckon. That's it. Uh, just in general, it's great to see some more people from, from the days of old come back and and inject new life into the scene from an old, an old driver, which is it's great to see, and come back in and just fit straight back into the mould as well. Like, it's not like come into like any animosity or anything like that. Like... He's come in, and everyone's just like, "Yeah, Davey's back!" And there's hugs all around, and and all that. So it's been really COVID safe see. hugs, COVID safe hugs. Yeah, and yeah. There's there's COVID COVID bumps and stuff, but yeah, all that <laughs> stuff. Oh, I went back on the live stream and like literally watched me shake the hand of everyone that finished on the podium. Shui shaked all my hands <laughs> as he's given the trophy. I'm like, I don't know if that was the COVID regulations or not, but oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> So, a yeah. bit of hand sanitizer. Yeah, that's it. I sanitize the hands between every every person. I swear. So, Sh- uh, champagne. It's got alcohol in it. It's something like champagne that. Champagne sanitizer. It's sticky. Yeah. It's not not very good cleaning. But um, <laughs> thank you, Tim, for for joining us this week. It's all right. Um, well, it's been a pleasure. I, I talk too much as it is. <laughs> yeah, I say week like it's a weekly thing. But thank you for joining us for this episode number, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever Tate's going to put in post. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's 11. 11? 11. I think so. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I'll just say 11. And then you can go and take that and put that over that. You're making this far too much work. No, just do the little thing or something. <laughs> Who knows? But um, again, and um, thanks as always to, to Date and Jack for being here and for Tate for doing all the work after this because he's the one that's going to put it all together and package it up and Put it on Spotify and um, YouTube and Facebook and all that stuff. But um, Tim, um, I don't think we've said anything stupid this episode. No, so I think we've been pretty title. good. Normally, pretty I just good. take yeah. something stupid and put it as the title. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we said anything dumb. Ah, uh, no. Well, it depends on I how much of that that cold open you leave in, I guess. <laughs> I think there was some there's some some dumb stuff in that. But um, Tim, um, you got any um any socials, any any stuff like that you want to plug? Any sponsors you want to thank while you're here with us? 
Oh, look, I mean, yeah, these days most people can find me in, um, at Momentum Drift on, on Instagram and that's where I post most of my garbage. But um, yeah, that's just that's my own little thing. I, I sort of, I've got supporters, but I've always did fairly clear sponsorship. It's sort of, it always felt like a responsibility. Yeah, I, <laughs> so, I have a very similar feeling to, to that. So, yeah, um, no, it's, it's it. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll keep pushing what I push on, on my socials there and I like trying to give people some sort of story and background on what's going on, what I've been doing, so. Very good. If you want to get um, bad car envy of all the cool cars that Tim builds, because um, we didn't even talk about, like, your streetcar and stuff like that, so um, <laughs> go go follow. It's at momentum underscore drift, or is it all one word? It's underscore, yeah. Yeah, so momentum underscore drift on Instagram. I'm sure Tate will add it to the thing underneath. Where, yeah. where the description or whatever it is. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, that's it. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Voganzoka as well. Um, Jack at It's Jackson Snell and JDS Motorsport and whatever other Instagram he's thought up for the week because he doesn't have Facebook, so he's got to have multiple Instagrams. And Tay, I can't remember what yours is, Tay. I feel real bad now because I just started plugging everybody else. and I'm like, I don't know. I just started changing everything over from LMS to one arm Bandit. So. Oh, yeah. So what? Probably something like that. I don't know, just I just changed it last week. Type in Put in one arm banded, it'll probably come up. Yeah, something like that. But anyway, thank you everybody for um, for sticking around this long, if you're still here. Um, I don't know where if Spotify has a review thing or whatever. Give us a thumbs up on Facebook. Um, leave a like, comment. Like, share, subscribe. Leave a comment on, on Facebook. Call on us idiots or something, I don't know. We need a question. Ask him a question, Tate. Where can we have a question? Oh, You're going to throw you under the bus right now. Oh, uh, all right. All right. What is off. your ideal drift week route? Four stops, less than 2,000 Ks. What's your ideal drift route, drift week Australia route? There you go. That's the question that I'm asking. This is how we can tell if people stay to the end if they answer this underneath in the comments on Facebook. <laughs> no one's well, going to answer this. I asked someone, I asked people to send a shed skids and no one did, so that was very Yeah, but people are so. bitches. True. Let's be honest. You're, you're going to get them pissed to do a shed skid, so, you know, it's usually how it happens. Or you're just going to get Gilmore on a couple of, <laughs> couple of fruit years. <laughs> And that's just a table attack more than a shed skid, from what I heard. Uh, all right. Thanks, lads. See you on the next episode. Ta-da. See you guys. Bye.